You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to Practically Pastoring. My name is Frank, and I am glad that you are here. I'm here in sunny Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, I'm joined with uh, two of the other four guys. I don't know the math, how this works out, but uh, down in Florida, again, Jeffrey Simpson. Once again, coming to you from the lush Newport Ritchie, Florida. Nice. And then rocking a, you can't see this because this is an audio podcast, rocking a beautiful Ninja Turtles t-shirt in his man cave down in uh, Sultry, Sumter, South Carolina, Delmar Pete. I am here and ready and humid. Ooh. I bet. I mean, it's, Mug I, City. I, I'm, I'm, I don't think, I don't know if Florida's in this, but I'm pretty sure South Carolina and Wisconsin are under that heat dome that the news was talking about. That like it's so hot that like there's this dome over a certain part of the United States that's like locking in the heat. I don't know. I believe it. I thought that was up in the Northwest where it was like 115 in Seattle, which is nuts. It was. I mean, it was. It's like been the 90s in Wisconsin. Hey, is there a hurricane in Florida right now, Jeff? I don't want to talk about it. There's not one yet, but there could be. And it might even come up this way. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, guys, I did the most like homeowner thing yesterday because of that hur- hurricane, guys. I put in a French drain in my yard. Oh. Uh, if you've not done that, stories. pay someone to do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just, I, it's so weird. You, I just was talking to someone about a French drain, and I was like, it's probably what I should do, but it's like the most expensive thing in the most labor intensive way to drain. This is such an adulting thing. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> uh, uh, Jeff, you're in Newport Ritchie, which is kind of like in that weird cone that people say when you're in Florida that like the hurricanes. We're never in been... the spaghetti model. You're in the spaghetti model right now, but like historically, people from Tampa and the surrounding areas are not afraid of hurricanes because like Tampa in general has not necessarily been directly hit. Yeah, in I ain't like scared. Decades, 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 and so Newport Ritchie is just outside of Tampa, so not not worried about it. I mean, not no, not really. Let's be honest. I'm not. I think it's going to rain tomorrow and be windy. It's it's going to be a fairly significant inconvenience. Sure. But other than that, I don't really think much is going to happen. Cool. Well, um, I know uh, Delmar. You just had you, last time you talked about it. You, you it was right before she was born, and you and you gave us her name. But uh, now you're officially outnumbered. Uh, you have more kids than adults in the house. How's that feeling yes. right now? And now you're a you girl here. dad for the first time now? First time, man. Girl dad. Ooh. Oh, I'll tell you what. That's a different, you know, the way I describe having children, it's like there's this, before you have kids, you think, oh, I love my wife. That's the greatest love ever. And then you have a kid and there's like this mystery love box that opens in your heart. And you're like, oh, I didn't know that existed. And then you mystery have a girl. Love box. Mystery love box would be a great <laughs> band name. That would be. Yeah. I just want to say. Especially for my like late nineties, early two thousand alternative yeah, stuff. <laughs> oh bro, I'm in a matchbox twenty like loop right now. We're we're uh, we're spirit animals, Jeff. But yeah, dude, seriously, having uh having three, what I've noticed so far and you know, it, with two boys, it was okay. But the third one, we're having to really divide and conquer a lot more now, you know, because like one of us will take the two boys and the other will take the girl. I've been pulling that first duty for the girls. So like I've been going to hit the bed around like 2 a.m. every day. 
So uh, every night, I should say, because um, we're, we're on the bottle with her because that's just how she's choosing to feed. And, uh, you know, she eats and then uh, watches me play a little Uncharted and then eats again and then we go to bed. But uh, it definitely is a lot more dividing to conquer because one of them's three, one's two. And then I guess she's like a month now almost. Wow. You had all three kids really close to each other. Amazing, man. Yes. Kudos to your wife. <laughs> you know, all right. Real, real shout out to her. What's we your wife's name? I don't even know. Yeah, her name's Hannah. And uh, Shout out to Hannah. Good yeah, work, Han- Hannah. We, she had this child. This blows my mind. Okay. So she had the baby. She said, I'm about to give birth. And the nurses go, okay, we'll go scrub in. They leave the room and the doctor leaves too. And my wife's like, Dell, I'm really giving birth now. And like, I'm like, oh my gosh, you are. So I get at the end of the bed. I'm, I'm about to catch the child. That's the situation we're in. And I'm leaning forward. I'm like, somebody. All of a sudden, the doctor sticks her head in. Are you? Oh, my gosh. You are having the baby. She comes down, pushes me out the way just in time to catch Nora. And I'm not even exaggerating that. My wife, with two pushes, we were good. Man. And I'm, I'm sitting here going, what? And then within uh, within like literally eight hours, 10 hours, my wife's like, I'm ready to go home. Like, I'm ready to discharge. They discharged her just after one day. My wife is like. Man, I don't, what a trooper! Yeah, I give credit to her, man. I would so. have loved to see the 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 slide and catch by the doctor. <laughs> I mean, that, it was man, it was it was like that. You know, our daughter got some pneumonia. We were in there a little about a week a- after, and uh, my mom's a nurse, and she says oftentimes, and I'm sure somebody listening to the podcast might give us some feedback, but she says oftentimes you need multiple people in the room because when the baby comes out, you need a, a nurse hitting the baby on the back to get the fluid out of the lungs. There was no uh-huh. one in the room. The baby just, poof, and as soon as the baby came out, the, the doctor just laid her to the side and was tending to my wife. So they, my mom said, well, baby might've just sucked down some fluid because no one else was in the room. So I don't oh, know. Man. It was a crazy cup. I'm really glad to be but back. healthy now though, right? Everybody's healthy. Oh, yes. She's very healthy. Very healthy. Good. Good. So that's awesome. Yeah. Jeff, there's a reason why you're in Florida. Um, there is. Uh, I would love for you. I know I've known more. About I, the well, the reason I'm in Florida is because, I, you know, I took note from Andrew and canceled service on July 4th and went on vacation. That's what Andrew told me he was doing. So I said, let's do it. Not really. Um, What actually (laughs) happened was, although I did visit Tim's church on July 4th, uh, not for service, but I went afterwards, like right as everybody was already done cleaning up from his big event. And then I acted like I was there to help. Oh, man, I'm too late. Oh. And then I just got to see Tim and give him a hug. And and I got to go into sanctuary and relive my wedding day because that's where I got married. And so my wife and I took a little picture, posted on Facebook. A bunch of people thought it was our anniversary, but it wasn't. So that was kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, how was it? I mean, uh, it's I mean, out of all five of us on the show, he definitely has like the most sprawling campus. Oh, for all. sure. It's a beautiful campus, no doubt. And like um, but yeah, I, I went there, I went to service with my in-laws. At their church, which is actually the same church where a bunch of people that I like knew from high school went or go to church now. So I got to see a bunch of high school friends that I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, a bunch of folks that were, you know, like my parents age in high school, a little older now, got to see them again. And that was fun. And then we went to lunch with some friends and then we uh, went down to uh, Tim's church and the event was kind of over, but my daughter still hopped in a waiting pool. And that was there. And then we uh, then we checked out the sanctuary and left. Now, the reason I'm in Florida is that uh, though I know we have a couple guys who are 
uh, involved in the foster care system, one of whom is at your church, Dell. Uh, Josh, really? right? Yeah, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. He and I have been actually, he and I have been texting a little bit. So that's my, worship um, we're guy. planning to, to actually like, yeah, yeah. We were planning to actually like chat or something maybe on zoom or something like that when I get back. But, uh, so they'll kind of understand this. Oh yes. I think the lightning just scored. No, they didn't. Um, I'm watching a hockey game for those of you listening, but is, uh, I'm in this Florida. Is because, this is real life. Uh, I'm in Florida because, um, my, daughter who is adopted um had a younger sibling uh her her same mom had a younger sibling and uh we were um kind of asked to come be part of getting her place with us and so those of you that know the foster system know that things go slower than you want and nothing works right so we heard from on tuesday in maryland that they were going to place her with us and so we decided let's get down to florida uh and you know I'm sure they'll place her with us before the weekend is up, which would have been yesterday. And so uh, we go all the way to Orlando on, we drive down from Tuesday into Wednesday to Florida. We stay in Newport Richie, which is about two hours from Orlando, go to Orlando on Friday when it looks like the judge will actually sign the order, making it official, official, yes. wait all day on Friday. And at five o'clock on Friday, we've heard nothing. And then we finally hear a little after five. Oh yeah. The judge was out of town today. So it's not going to happen. No. Uh, so you'll have to wait till Tuesday because, you know, July 5th is Monday and then courts are closed. So as of, uh, when we're recording this tomorrow, we're going to head over back to Orlando. It looks like it's going to get signed and we'll be able to uh, pick her up. But then as you mentioned, Frank, there's the possibility of a hurricane, uh, or a tropical storm coming through. So I don't know if that's going to like, is the court going to shut down? Cause it's going to be a tropical storm. Probably not. You just never know, man. And then it's like, we have to be home Saturday uh, for an event at the church. And are we going to be driving up through the remnants of a tropical storm up the coast? Ugh. So, hey, man, well, is, if man. you need a place to stay, stop in South Carolina. I, hey, I got I you, bro. You know. Honestly, here's what's amazing. My, the, uh, the thing we have to be back for on Saturday is that my wife uh, finished licensing with our denomination to be an official worker. And so our district leadership is coming to the church to like do a, a, a service to kind of install that. And so I'm, I'm really proud of her and excited about that. But frankly, I think that's more important for us to get back for than even for Sunday. Cause I think like kudos to my church, like they know what's going on with us. And I think if I missed another Sunday, like I really don't think anybody would be upset at me now. I don't want to, cause I really want to continue our John series. But at the same time, I'm really grateful for like, you know, a church that that's the culture of the church. They, they're not like you're fired if you're not here because you know, we're more important than anything else. So it's pretty cool. Also the lightning just scored. Uh, it's now one, one and I'm very excited and I'm holding it in. <laughs> Should we uh, now call Amy pastor Amy? Uh, no, she's actually, so in our denomination and maybe we could have a show about this one day. We don't, uh, we don't currently ordain women, but that is a, a uh, big conversation we're having because of specific situations like chaplaincy and like overseas where having the title reverend actually affects your ability to do the ministry. Mm. Uh, she, uh, so in our denomination, you get licensed and then you like for men, you go on and get ordained. It's a two step process over the course of about five years. Uh, so she finished the licensing process, but she is the first one in our district to complete what they call a church ministry workers license. So for women, the option is get licensed and then consecrated normally. Uh, but 
Amy is doing one that's kind of in between licensing and consecration. So it's, it's more targeted at people who are going to like run a ministry in your church. So it's pretty cool that our denomination does it because it gives you all of the kind of theological distinctives of our denomination, but it, it's not as much work as, as consecration or ordination for us. So it's a cool middle ground. I actually think it's a great option for like elders and like uh, lay leaders to go through. Cause then, you know, they have the, the, um, the specific theological training for your denomination. Like they, they know about the fourfold gospel, yeah. for instance, which is a thing for us. So, and for those who don't know who the us is for Jeff, he is a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, the CMA. Yes, the Alliance for short. The line. Oh yeah, I love how uh, old denominations. Well, are one time I was walking things. through Chicago. I think I've told the story, and I was talking to somebody who is a member of an Alliance church with me, and I asked him, like, just how long have you been in the Alliance? And some guy in the street was like, "The Rebel Alliance." <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hey, so. well, uh, speaking of ordination of women, we're actually going to talk about that in our main segment a little later. But before we get to that, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to head into our clergy cliffhanger. Hey, we're back. And uh, this is a conversation we, you know, it was like, well, dumb. I'm, I'm guessing you know the answer to this. Was it three weeks ago that the SBC... The, yeah. the Southern Baptist Convention held a convention. <laughs> Is they that, only it, exist when they're convening. Yeah, yeah. Was that three weeks ago? Yeah, it was so, right around when Nora was okay. born. Yeah. So, so we didn't talk. I mean, we I, I, actually around that same week, I was hoping to have an episode where we talk about all the drama in the SBC, but you weren't here, and I felt like it would be inappropriate to talk about the SBC. Actually, I didn't think that. I wanted to, but Jeff said, I think it might be weird to talk about the SBC. I said, without come on, the, bro. We can't do Dell like that. Without I appreciate the you, Jeff. SBC here. So, uh, so there's a lot to talk about. I, there's so many things we can talk about in, in terms of the conference. But here's something that came up that I actually think has bigger implications for every pastor that's listening to this, or every ministry leader that's listening to this, regardless if you're in the SBC or yeah, not. Yeah, not specifically SBC, for sure. Exactly, exactly. So uh, at the convention, they newly elected Ed Litton. It was contested, I think. It was, high, it was kind of like uh, it's kind of like a presidential election. It was kind of a debatable uh, election. But there are a lot of those same people were there. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a bunch of pirates, apparently. A lot of those people uh, are very quiet now. <laughs> so anyways... Ed Litton um, is the new uh, president. He replaced former president J.D. Greer. And uh, in light of his new election, there was uh, kind of a bit of a controversy that came out almost like before the convention even ended. I a heard bit of a controversy? Well, it's a pretty big controversy, I think. Bro, people are out for blood, man. They are. And I think that's because people don't like Ed Litton, and so they're well, trying 100%. to crucify him. Um Part of me feels like this is kind of overblown. Part of me is like, yeah, this, this is a bit a bit bad look. But let me explain what happened. There's an article over on Religion News. There's a ton of articles about this, but this is what I found. And in it, there's actually another video, a YouTube video, where it shows that Ed Litton had um, kind of uh, plagiarized aspects of J.D. Greer's sermon that he preached a year earlier um, from Romans 1. And so I heard that Ed Litton actually asked permission or got, you know, talked to J.D. Greer ahead of time. Well, he claimed that. Yeah. And I think J.D. even said, like, yeah, he, yeah. he has full permission to take whatever he wanted. He Regard said, whatever yeah. bullets from my gun work in your gun, go ahead and use them. Yeah. And so regardless, if you, I think what's more interesting is the video than the actual article because it shows the side by side. 
and I think and I think this brings up a question that I want to I want to talk to you guys about is like uh because of the advent of especially because of COVID and everybody's online now and every, you watch any sermon, but even before that, this was the case. Uh, sermon plagiarism is a big deal and it's kind of, it's kind of kind of rampant. And um, one thing I, when I watch the side by side of what JD said and what Ed said, the thing is, it's like, you know, if you're outlining a text and you're like, here are the three bullet points that came from the text, I could see, everyone a lot of people having similar things like it's kind of hard if you're outlining the text you're probably gonna get the same thing as someone else outlined and if you have a better header for each outline i might you know i think you know if it's a better wording i might use that but there but when it gets to the point of illustrations and like almost asides that's when it becomes a bit scary to me so anyways i guess i want to hear from you guys um there's a specific line in particular that was said that it's kind of uh, a big hotly issue because it kind of minimizes sexual sin, but I want to hear from you guys. What are your initial thoughts after you read the article or heard about the story and watched the videos? Well, first of all, I want to shout out to everyone on DYM who's been downloading sermons for years and replicating them. Oh my god! <laughs> oh man! But you know, Frank, I, I was thinking about this as we were getting ready for today. I, I want to talk about. I want to talk about DYM. Yeah. Okay, okay, and we'll get to that. Well, you know, we'll get that to the end because myself. Andrew and Tim, I thought you have too, Delmar, but yeah, all three of us have probably together over a hundred sermons on DYM. Yeah. Um, and I would love, we'll talk about that later, but go ahead. Tell me your yeah. thoughts about this. Yeah. My shot's the same as you, man. Um, because here's the deal. If you've preached for any amount of time, you there's the point where you're like, okay, I've literally told every story that's cool from college and everything that's ever happened. And you've run into the wall with illustrations and I think, uh, how many times do we do go, I'm guilty. There's been some times when I'm in a passage and have y'all ever watched John Piper exposit text where he writes on the screen? Like that's fantastic. But I think it doesn't hurt anybody to be like, Hey, John Piper says this or dead theologian Spurgeon says this. Um, and I watched that same clip. And at first I was like, Oh, he's just using the same, like, biblical text and then he literally starts ripping off personal stories about youth pastors dealing with alcohol issues and stuff That's and what i'm does like it for me man and i'm like nah man now cuz see what's going on here is you've passed over from borrowing to lying and that's to me that is a big difference but if we really want to dig down to the motive and this is where i think it really hits home for us because i do think there's probably a lot of us listening to this podcast, we're really careful to not do that. But where is the line with that? Because how many times have we embellished an illustration to make a point to a point where there might be a little bit of lie in there? You know, so like I have to look at my own stuff and say, man, OK, did I embellish that a little too much? Because then I'm lying. If I'm going to ding this guy for lying, granted, his is lying plus plagiarism. But I mean, last time I saw, you know, we don't keep count of them. But I do think there is a very, a very significant line when we're called to preach the truth, but we're embedding embellishments or lying. And to me, that's where I was like, yo, I'm down liking the video on YouTube. Well, I actually think that, like, I think the the embellishing of a story or even the making up of a story for an illustration is it is in a slightly different category than the kind of deception we're talking about with this. 
I would agree. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I, I've seen, a, I, I don't like it. I think it's weird, but I know that in different like streams at different generations, even it was commonplace. I mean, I remember hearing sermons where yeah. a pastor told a whole story and then was like, I just made that up oh. to make a point, you know, like, so that's yeah. technically lying, but I, that's at a different, to me, there's like, my take on it is there's two different things here with it. I mean, from an academic standpoint, plagiarism is is just not okay. Uh, and I have firsthand experience with that. I made that error in college, was called out for it, spent the whole another semester at school. So like uh, my hands are not clean with this. Um, but my take on it as a pastor is it's twofold. The first is that what I think you're trying to do, if you're an Ed Litton, um, and I know Ed listens to the show. What's up, Ed? Um, just kidding. I think what you're trying to do in that situation is he, I don't, I hate to say, I don't fully buy the story that like, I, oh, I just found it really helpful. I think what goes on is you see a preacher that you really admire and you like them and you know that a lot of people like them. They're very popular. And so you are almost trying to um, like live into their like into their glory, if you will, like you, you want a little bit of that, that juice for yourself. And so you start to, that, that's kind of what it seems like to me. It's almost like clout stealing It's like, you're trying to be JD Greer if you're Ed Litton and you're doing this. And so you tell the stories exactly the same and you try to pull the joke off about Caligula's horse exactly the same and you botch it. But like, that's part of what's going on here. And then there is the part of it that like, I, I think, I mean, you're stealing from your employer, your employer being the the church that's employing you full time. You know, I know Ed's got to be full time at his church. Uh, and, and when you're passing something off as if you as if you studied for multiple more hours than you actually did, mm. that's a deception of like you're stealing you're stealing money from little old ladies in your church who are donating so that you can be supported full time to do this. You're, you're stealing from your employer, which in this case happens to be people's generosity, which to me just is a big turnoff to, to go down that road. Now, having said that, do do I use commentaries and read other sermons? From I mean, I use commentaries all the time, and I read sermons fairly often too, but it's very easy to just say even something as generic as another pastor said or one commentator said, and all you have to do is signal that you got the idea from somewhere else. You don't have to, I mean, and now I would say it's a good idea to keep those citations in your notes because sometimes people are going to ask you, what what commentary was that? And you don't want to be caught flat-footed, oh, uh, uh, what do you mean? Oh, it was me, you know. So just just let people know, like, I'm not a genius. I use commentaries. It's and fine. I, and, and to speak to that, there's something that we're all discovering as pastors, and that is finding your voice. You know, for me, it took it took a few years of steady preaching every week to find my voice. And I found that um, for there was a season where I did not need to listen to Matt Chandler, because when I got on stage, even if I wasn't using his stuff, I was doing what you were just saying, Jeff. I was trying to get into his mind and communicate. And I found out, man, my, my people, you know, Matt Chandler can tell you you're a worthless piece of crap and you'll hug him. I don't have that disposition about me, you know? So I uh, finding, and, and I think that's where the slip comes. Um, when, when, when we're trying to find our voice and we're listening to other pastors and I like him. So I'm going to, I'm going to, it's, it's a subconscious thing. We're trying to 
pull that into who we yeah, are. Yeah, you're doing the I like him and I want other people to feel like I feel for him for me. That's it. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and that's, I think- that's what I meant by my first take. It was like that's that to me is the heart of what's going on. I, I, I don't I mean, I, I sent Frank, I sent you an article that kind of gives an, a timeline. And in that article, there's a, a little video that uh, he did where he even talked about how he used to lie about how much time he spent. He would tell people it was 24 hours a week, but it was really more like eight. Well, you which, can do it in eight know hours or less. You can. We're fine with eight <laughs> hours or less. Just be honest about it. Yeah. And, th- and that's what I mean about stealing time. You're telling people it takes you 24, but it's only taking you eight. What are you doing? How about we, how about we just stop telling people how long we take to write a sermon? Like, <laughs> whether, whether it took me eight hours or 15 hours, none of those is a badge of honor or should exactly. be. But, but what's funny, it, it, you guys, you know, you said – Dumbo, you mentioned like Matt Chandler. Like I often say, if I am listening to too much Matt Chandler, my next sermon, I'm just gonna be clapping a lot and be like, "Are you trekking with me? Are you trekking with me?" Like I'm just gonna, I'm just, I start like um, appropriating his mannerisms. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 even and, I'll, I'll even like find my cadence. Yeah, like the way I say things will even you'll be pace effective. it out like he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah or like yeah. other preachers too. I mean. Yeah. And I think and this goes to my next question is like what I have found is um, like there was I think I did this more when I was younger, but I do find myself in seasons where I'm listening to a lot of Christian podcasts or sermons or even like podcasts with pastors where I'm listening to so much content and then I'm re- sitting down writing a sermon and then my mind will remember a sentence. I have no clue who that's from or how right. to even track that down. But like I'll say in a sermon something like that. Like for example, I know I get quoted on Twitter right now for things I've never said. It was things that I may have said, but it wasn't original to me. But they're attributing it to me, and I'm and I'm just like I don't know where I got that. I literally just like one day was thinking about my sin, and I thought, you know what that's like, and then I wrote it, and it's like it's probably like so, someone else probably said that, but I heard it two years ago in a podcast, and I don't know how to search for that, and mm-hmm. so. I, so my question to you is this. In your sermon prep, Jeff, you talked about uh, reading commentary. We all read commentaries. We're all, you know, a lot of us have logos. And you know, we're also using tools like podcasts or maybe even listening to other sermons of pastors that we respect. How do you balance that, that idea of quoting? Because in essence, your whole sermon could be you know, me quoting my commentary or me quoting whatever – Versus simply explaining what you've learned in your study. What's the balance in that? Because uh, because I feel like there is somewhat of a fine line, especially in commentaries where no one's going to know who Daryl Bach is, but I'm going to quote him because he's like the primary guy on Luke and Acts, right? But I think I, the I motivation is I I want people to know who Daryl Bach is. Yeah. Oh. Like if true. if you're if you're writing your sermon thinking no one knows who this is and I want to keep it that way, that's that's where the the, the seed of deception is coming in. Yeah. This past weekend. Gonna, Oh, go ahead, Jeff. Well, I was just going to say that's going to tempt you to not want to cite your sources or to say a, a commentator said. So m- my goal is to get people to study the Bible as well as they can. And if that means they discover that commentaries exist, then, oh, my gosh, I didn't know these exist. I'm I'm happy for that. Please. I, I want I, a fantastic quote. You know, like, give me this past week. I quoted Vody Balcom. It, it was a fantastic quote. And I, I, I stopped there in the sermon. I said, listen, that's, that's Vody Bauckham. If you need to, even if you're not taking notes, you need to write his name down. Now, when you get home, type it into YouTube and click play on anything, 
you know, because like I, I feel like we want our people. If there's a good quote, use it. Like you just said, Jeff, we need to expose our our people to these good um, communicators and good stewards of God's word. I, I would use a metaphor of uh, like cooking. So there's a difference in cooking when you're learning a recipe where you follow the recipe to a T. And then there's a level you get to with cooking where you don't need the recipe much anymore. And you actually don't need the recipe for much else where you've internalized like how those ingredients work together. And I think that can be a kind of a metaphor for sermon prep. Like if you're rushed and all you're doing is reading commentaries and kind of regurgitating what you heard, that's one thing. But for you to read a bunch of commentaries, spend time in that book, and then, you know, still use those ingredients and give credit to where those ingredients, you know, are due, but you're writing something that becomes yours and is, you know, and, and, you know, Scott McKnight is quoted in one of the articles I sent, uh, I think you, Frank, where he's talking about the, the, the act of making a sermon is a specifically local act that a local pastor does for his people. So if your illustrations aren't coming from like the life of your church with your people, then I'm, you know, I'm wondering what you're doing. Like you should be living with your people to where you can make illustrations that impact a person that you know in your church. And I think you just rung the bell on the biggest issue of plagiarism in sermons is that you're eliminating the contextualization to your yeah. specific church that the Holy Spirit is using you to do for your church. Because Anybody could have watched that Vody Bakum sermon that Delmar is quoting. Anybody could watch the J.D. Greer sermon that he preached. But God has called you to be the pastor of your church. And as you are living in and with that community of believers, that sermon, though the the text says the same thing as what Vody Bakum is going to preach, as what uh, Francis Chen, whoever your pre- favorite preacher is, like the text is going to say the same thing, but how you apply it to your congregation is something that God wants you to uniquely wrestle with for your people. And when you plagiarize, um, you called it lying. Um, you called it stealing. I figure also, um, holding back the opportunity of contextualizing God's word for the community in which you're sitting in. And I think that's I think that's a separate issue from the deception issue, but it's I actually think more important than a deception issue. Yeah, you know, it's like it's it's pastoral malpractice what you're doing by by not contextualizing. Um, and, and I also think like man, we we just got to kill the desire to be a celebrity. Like just let sure. that die, man, because that is what I think fuels so much of. Of like this sermon plagiarizing is like you want to be as cool as this other pastor and like cool is not the end game that's just not what we're here for so let's make it a little more complex at our church we have a preaching team it's it's uh our senior pastor's not on it but there i am and two other communicators we physically write the manuscripts together so like when we preach we we often have to say we're a team um because um this illustration right here might be from Corey. You know, and this this heading right here might be from Matt, but um, the movement of it and the transitions in the bottom line might be from me. So like when you're writing with others, I guess, you know, there's that nuance of it's not it's kind of like a group project. So it's not plagiarism. But at the same time, you, you do feel the need to uh, to attribute what you need to. So I think even if you write with someone, because I know that we have pastors who listen to this podcast, they're in local community groups where they write their sermons together. You know, I think, I think it encourages your people to hear that you're sitting down with other pastors and writing 
Um, and I wouldn't keep that from them if you're listening. Actually, I think that it would um, encourage your congregation more that you know, because it would see yeah, you I, as a builder. Yeah, people need to know that you're not that insightful. You're just not. Like, none of us yeah. are. And I think, Del, Del, what you said is just like a really good argument for why multi-site is unbiblical. I mean, so... Wow. <laughs> um, but, but Delmar, you Total actually sarcasm, said, everybody. Sarcasm. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you bring this up, and it, it brings me to my last question. So I believe on this podcast, Andrew has publicly said he has preached Tim's sermons at his church for Chris, for like a Christmas sermon or something. Uh, well, I will say, too, like I, Andrew gave me uh, one of Tim and Andrew's Mother's Day sermons that I used heavily for Mother's Day, but I just like said so, this is from – I've used I wedding use templates <laughs> from other guys. I, I think you're totally fine to do that as long as you cite it. Don't act like it's your st- – like you guys said, when you start telling another guy's like life story jokes, yeah, oh, that's you're yeah. trying to be deceptive at that point. So I think uh, – this is my last question. And so – and, and Delmar, you were joking about this at the front end, but like I actually have a, a, a specific argument that's different than what we're talking about. So – Student ministry, children's ministry, whether we're talking about like small groups and Sunday schools, they often use curriculum, which is literally someone else's material. Now, like DYM and Orange, they'll often say like, this is a sermon that you could purchase and you could preach it as yourself. And in the curriculum, they actually like bracket out the, the, the illustrations to say, create your own illustration like this or... Um, you could use something like this and like change the pronouns or something like that, right? So, so I guess the like, I, I, let me say this. I'll state my position, and you guys can respond to it. I actually think Christian education outside the sun, outside the main worship service, is a different ball game than what we were talking about in the Sunday morning service. I think when you're talking about the Sunday morning service. Um, that's a unique thing from scripture that God has called God's people to gather. And there's a pastor who is proclaiming God's word for their people. Christian education is a part of the discipleship process. And that is where youth ministry and children's ministry and all that stuff comes under. And I think using curriculum is not inappropriate in the, as, as so much as you are as the facilitator, the teacher, the pastor in that situation, rely on the Holy spirit to contextualize the curriculum for your people. That like if you were just legitimately just like reading what the paper says and telling it to your kids or to your students, we've I all think, been in that bad Sunday school class. <laughs> we've <laughs> all been in that, that Sunday school class, and I think that like unless it's like a catechism type of thing, like a like you're catechizing the kids for like a like and that's your like denomination and that's what you have to do. That's one thing, but like I know in my student ministry, if I was writing my own student ministry sermon or I purchased curriculum that I then took the time to create and make it my own. I don't feel any type of uh, guilt or shame in that simply because I purchased a curriculum with the understanding that the Lord was using them to write that curriculum. And then the Lord is using me in that process to refine it and adapt it to my group. And this isn't a Sunday morning worship service. This is a, this is youth ministry is at best a small group contextualized of teenagers. And is, you're using curriculum for that purpose. Delmar, you made fun of DYM in the front end. I want to hear your response to that. First of all, I, I do love DYM. Like, <laughs> uh, I have stuff on DYM, so tie my name in. Um, but, uh, you know. P-E-E-T. Yeah, not P-E-T-E. Um, but, I, you know, Frank, I'll be honest, man. I'm You didn't tell us all this before, so I'm kind of going off my raw instinct. 
Um, I see your tension, but I also feel that that scripture do everything as unto the Lord. And if that's the standard I want to hold the senior guy to, then, then what am I to be subject to if I'm supposed to follow their leadership? That being said, the caveat is that so many people in the education space, they're not full time. I should not expect my life group leader to spend five hours coming up with content. So, so I do think that there is something to be said in there. Uh, but as me as a communicator, I, I think that on a, um, on a Wednesday when I used to speak, um, I, I would tread lightly. And when we would write these sermons together, we would yank out all of their illustrations. You know, um, we just say, boom, the content's there, you know, eat the meat, spit out the bone, so to speak. Uh, so I do think there's a fine line. And I would say anybody who's under me in a mentorship capacity or anyone who is paid to be on staff and that's their leverage, I, I would hold them to the same standard that I would the senior pastor. I, 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 the only caveat I would say that's different from what a senior pastor's role is to what a youth pastor or even a children's minister's role is, is that their role oftentimes encompasses like a student pastor is doing the role of like the senior pastor, the associate pastor. Oh, it's hustle, and, baby. I mean, it's, it's like, it's like you're, you're, you're doing so much stuff and a, and a big argument for curriculum and student ministry is so that you can tighten up your, your, your scripture writing time, your sermon writing time mm-hmm. to be able to create opportunities to mentor your volunteers, to be able to pour into your leaders. And, and so all that to say is this is I don't think there's any, there's no, if you want to write all your sermons and be a rock star in student ministry, do that. If you want to do, if you want to purchase curriculum and then contextualize it for your kids, do that. If you are, if you are just, you know, getting orange and just straight up just reading the whole thing and not doing any work in the sermons, I'm a little concerned for you. You know what I'm saying? But like, I think as long as you're contextualizing it to your kids, I think it's okay. When you get to the role of a senior pastor and you're doing the main worship service, I think there is a distinction between what's expected in a worship service and what's expected in a Sunday school class. Does that make sense? Go ahead, Delmar. Yeah, absolutely, man. Okay. Laziness and insecurity could be two core things leading to this plagiarism issue, right? But I can equally say pride and insecurity can equally lead to you saying, I'll never use anything because I got to be the rock star. I have to write it all. When I first came to my church, it was like what y'all just described. If you want something done, it's literally on you. And I had to leverage this material over here so I can learn what the heck I'm supposed to be doing over here during the week. And I think it's, uh, you know, if there are any people here who are jack of all trade in their ministry, I just want to encourage you, if you feel like you have to write it all, maybe that's a calling God's put on your life, but also don't ever underestimate how you get literal time currency when you lean into something every now and then. We don't want it to be like every day, kind of look at it like a buffet. You know, I'm not going to hit a buffet every day, you know, but every now and then I might have to lean into it because I want to take some people, some kids out to eat or something. So, um, so to your point, Frank, yeah, I think you really have to heart check yourself regardless of which direction you go with this. And I like, that's, that's why 
my friend here, Jeff, he always is really big on like what's going on in your heart. It's not about what's going on out here as much as what's going on in your heart. And I think if you want to write, if you don't want to write, if you feel like you're too close to the line, step back, ask yourself, why are you doing it? And then say, what's your motive behind that? And then you'll probably realize where you should land. All right. Now let the senior pastor talk. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, the, the only no, okay. mandated pastor on this podcast. Actually, I'm not a senior pastor. <laughs> I'm just the only pastor at my church. So I'm yes, Papa, just pastor. Tell us everything. Have no call no man father. Jesus said that. Um here here's what I would say. I think everything we're talking about here is is we're talking about prudence and wisdom. Frank, I, I don't know if I agree with you that there's that much of a distinction between Sunday morning. And you know me as much value as I put on Sunday morning in liturgy. I don't think you can make a biblical argument that a preacher is supposed to come up with original content. I I would challenge you to it. We're supposed to preach the word, but that's not original content. So I think what we're talking about, and, and I would say I, I actually wouldn't really have that much of a problem in terms of like uh, biblical expectations of what a pastor is if a pastor used curriculum on a Sunday morning in his sermons. The issue for me is what are the expectations that your people have on you that they're paying you for that you know that that's the expectation and you're deceiving them. That's the issue. I don't think you can make a biblical argument that a pastor is supposed to preach original content sermons every week. We're supposed to preach the word. I I totally, I agree with that. And, and I do write most, most of the time, Uh, you know, most of the stuff I write is original and then there's commentaries mixed in. So that, that's just, that's pretty normal for a pastor. But what I know is the expectation of my folks. When they, when in my job description it says you will preach sermons every week, I know what that means. I know that what they mean is I'm going to write sermons that are original content to me. And anything other than that, unless I expressly say, this is what I'm going to start to do. I'm going to start to use sermons. I'm going to, well, you know, I mean, how many pastors do book series? Let's go through this book that's not a book of the Bible, but just like a book that's been impactful. If you're being honest about that and your people are okay with that and you're making disciples through that somehow and keeping you know Christ the center and the Word the center, that you can't make an argument to me that that's unbiblical. I, 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 I don't disagree with you. I, I think I was saying I, – when, when I said original content, I guess my thing was like if a pastor is going to SermonCentral.com every week for their sermons and just preaching that – I think that's where you're being deceptive or it's, you know, wasting. Right. And what I'm agreeing with you. And what I'm saying, that's the issue. If your people, like, let's say in your job description, it said, we want you to lead a service every week and just find a good sermon for us, facilitate the conversation. And you accept that job that there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Are you making disciples? Are you, is the word being preached? Yeah. Yeah. If you can answer those questions, there's, we have a specific view of what the sermon is in yeah. Protestant, especially a little bit reformed thinking churches. Sure. And that's a pretty recent view. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm friends with pastors from other streams and they, I mean, they don't have a sermon. They have a homily. Well, I was actually going to say right? that so, in, in certain, uh, in the certain issue is the, what I'm saying is the issue is the deception. The issue certain, is the deception. In certain traditions, um, when they, if, when they, when the church follows the church calendar, are there certain church calendar traditions that have specific passages, like sermons? Oh yeah, yeah. There's that? there's traditions where they preach right out of the lectionary. So and that's so, your text, and here's yeah. what and 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 like I have a, a friend who's a United Methodist pastor, and there's times where his bishop tells him, 
here's the here's the message outline for you. Mm-hmm. And like that's the expectation that his church has of him. They know that's happening. There's no problem with that. The problem that's happening here is that his Ed Litton's church and you know any of us that have that fallen in this trap before the your church thinks something else is happening and you know they think something else is happening and you're using that against them to deceive them. Yeah. That's I, the problem. I appreciate that that um that clarification and nuance. You're right. I was thinking specifically in a kind of Protestant probably baptistic reform perspective which is which like, is what my church looks like and so i'm what i'm saying <laughs> i practice this like i'm not saying i don't do this i do this i write sermons yeah, every yeah, week yeah. Yeah. but what i'm saying is we have a specific view of what that is and you knew when you accepted the job at your southern baptist church that emphasizes preaching what yeah. they expect of you and when you start to preach other guys sermons you know that's outside of the expectation or else you would tell everybody that's what you were doing openly and the fact that you're not telling other people that means you know that you're not supposed to be doing that. Can I drop like a bomb right before we go into our final segment here? Do it. <laughs> I just because this is something I've actually been thinking about, and I feel like if I share this out loud, I might get fired. But I'll share it anyways. One thing <laughs> I, I one thing I think about, and I don't think when I say I think about this, I'm not saying I, I'm concluding that I want to do this. I'm just thinking about this out loud. Is how much has preaching the way we do it today has been influenced? by the reformation by you know even like the past 200 years like since spurgeon right like so much of our preaching has been so much of our worship service revolves around the preaching in a lot of our traditions where other traditions the service revolves around communion the service revolves around some other sacrament if you will and and sometimes i wonder like is my um exaltation of preaching a too much too much um am i giving too much credit for it in the scope of what the lord has wanted us to have when we gather together on a sunday morning that when churches who do homilies like 15 minute meditations on a certain passage is that maybe more of what the lord wanted for us 2000 years ago when he was in, when the lord was encouraging us to create the church and for us to gather on sunday mornings and perhaps we have just kind of exalted the role of a pastor to be this orator and we have been looking up to folks as far back as luther to more recently to spurgeon to edwards and now we have like the 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 preachers of our day the macarthur's the pipers the whatever and now we have ex- uh we have put preaching in such a state where if you were to copy someone else, that's a horrific crime for your church. Yet no one bats an eye that no one's creating new music, right? Like no no worship service is creating. I mean, very few worship, very few churches are creating the, the lion's share of worship music in the church, right? But we don't care about that, you know? And so I say all that to say this, is sometimes I ponder when I'm really, really, when I'm bored and I have free time to think about, I cr- I spend a lot of my week writing a 35-minute sermon, and that 35-minute sermon takes up sometimes more than 50% of my service. And is that what the Lord wants for us in terms of the primary thing we focus and I give our attention to on a Sunday morning? I don't have an answer for that. I, I have a reform perspective on that, and I don't know if that's the right answer. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think that's the answer. I I, I think <laughs> that is the answer. Like I do I yeah, I, I am with you. I think that I think that our view of the sermon and preaching is overemphasized. Um and but I'm in it. Like I, I'm in it with you. I preach 30, 35 minute sermons. That's more than half my service almost. But I will agree with you that I think it's an overemphasis, and I think that 
these kind of issues are the result of that over overemphasis where, like you said, no, I mean, nobody is batting an eye that we're not singing original. Every song is in an original song, but, but again, the difference is that Dishonesty. everybody knows they're not original songs. Yep. Yeah. The, the worship leader isn't standing up and acting like he wrote this. They put the CCLI on the slide. Right. Like we all care. know. <laughs> yeah. So, so maybe that's, maybe that's, you know, Hey, if you're going to quote, if you're going to do any kind of quote, put a little asterisk on the slide or put something at the yeah. bottom to signal like this is not original content. But I do think the overemphasis on what we mean by the preaching of the word, we like to quote that line, right? Oh, we have to preach the word in season and out. Well, preach the word to us means one person standing up and orating for 30, 35 minutes in a very enlightenment, you know, influenced academic style where people are sitting in rows listening to us. Preach the word in a different culture in a different time might mean something completely different. Is one better than the other? I don't know, but we live in this time and in this place where that's what people mean. And when they hired you, you knew that's what they meant and they knew that's what they meant. So when you do somebody else's stuff, you know what you're doing. And that's my point. And and I also want to say, like, I, I think, like, come on, pastors, like, we're all imperfect. People are out for blood with Ed Litton right now. Like, yeah. the stuff being seen, like, this questions all his character. I mean, come on. Every every one of us have done things in ministry that if we got to this status and it got found out could blow up and people would get I mean, people are going back and looking for this in sermons now. Dalmar, do you know, not I mean, run for president of the SBC, please. I don't want you to get uh, beat up. Or if you are, make no. sure that you cite your sources. <laughs> or delete all your sermons like Ed Litton did. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, again, that's a bad – it looks bad. The, the culture we live in, before Ed even got there, those bullets were already in someone's gun ready to fire. Oh, for sure. That's just, that's, if he gets that, elected, we're pulling – yeah. That was already there. But he didn't make it hard, though. He didn't make it – I mean, he made it easy to find the, the dirt. Let, let me give you another metaphor. Like, let me give you a music metaphor, right? Like, we can't make an argument that one style of music is the right worship style, right? Like, jazz isn't the ordained way that God desires to be worshipped. It's not. It's just a style of music. I think God has ordained that his word should be taught, but the style of teaching is not necessarily uh, ordained. Like you can, you can do it in a, in a small group setting. You can do it with curriculum. You can do it with an orator in the same way that we can have worship with blues or jazz or hip hop or whatever you want. And so, but th- th- what's happening here is like, you're, you know, it, it, for us to talk about this oration being overemphasized but that's what our churches are. Like we, we all go to a jazz church. We're not going to hire a hip hop worship leader and then ask him to do our thing. Right. Like, so if, if you're in a, in a, a Protestant denomination that value, it's not like you don't know they value preaching when you get hired. Like we all know it. And that, and so just don't be deceptive. Do what, do what they think they signed you up to do and what you agreed to do. That's all I'm saying. I, you know, we can argue about whether the kind of preaching is the right kind of preaching. I'm happy to have that argument. I don't think any of us can make an argument that one style is biblical and another is not, as long as it's Christocentric and it's, you know, exegeting the text. But if you get hired by a church that values a 30-minute sermon and you're going to pretend like you're spending 20 hours a week working on it, but you're just ripping some guy off, I mean, that's what the problem is. Or ripping some lady off, which is what we're going to talk about in our next subject. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we have an amazing guest. I am so excited. Uh, Jeff, and I think Delmar knows this too, but Jeff knows this. is like, 
uh, as you can tell, uh, this podcast is pretty much a boys club. It's just five dudes being dudes, talking like dudes. And uh, and one thing uh, we recognize... Well, gentlemen. <laughs> you know, one thing we recognize is even though some of our traditions... Uh, lean more complementarian. We recognize that in Greater Christendom there are women pastors, and uh, and recently there has been some controversy over uh, the ordination of women pastors. So I sat down with Emily Clark. She's a senior pastor at a church in West Michigan. Prior to that, she was a missionary on a reservation in South Dakota, and she has a ministry, a master's of divinity from Anderson University. More importantly, she's a sister in Christ who loves the Lord and is helping people hear and know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not for sure. Long, she preaches her own sermons. For sure. She preaches her own sermons. Not too long ago, uh, Saddleback Church, Rick Warren's church, uh, ordained for the very first time three women to their church. And that's a big deal because Saddleback is also Southern Baptist and they do not, as a denomination, um, approve of women or nations. So stories like that have been gripping evangelical culture and the discussion of the ordination of women uh, uh, and, and even women in ministry in general has been kind of a hot topic. So I sit down with Emily to give us a snapshot of a woman who felt the call of the Lord to go into ministry and to hear how her experience as a pastor and a woman has been like. Emily is awesome, is awesome and she's a great follow on Twitter. I want to encourage everyone to go follow her. And, uh, and maybe one day, if, if we're in a setting like this, we can have her sit in with us for a whole show. But I would encourage you to get to know her, listen to our conversation. I hope you'll be blessed. And we'll be back afterwards after we chat with Emily. Hey, Emily, we're so glad that you are here uh, on the Practically Pastoring Podcast. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had my friend Ashley come on and she talked about what it's like to be single in ministry. And I've been, I've been really looking for someone who... Um, is a is a is a woman who's also a lead pastor and and wanted to hear their story and ask some questions for them and I'm so glad that you're here Emily. Thanks, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I I I a couple of questions I I'll ask about how I kind of discovered you. Basically, I only know you through Twitter and and I and I and I kind of found you through some of your tweets and and you're a delightful follow. Um, so I, I guess for, for the sake of, of this podcast, I would love for you to introduce yourself. Kind of who are you, where are you from, where do you serve? And, and I want to know a little bit more about like the type of church that you serve. Like, tell me a little bit more about the kind of people that go to your congregation, all that kind of good stuff. So my name is Emily. I am a senior pastor in Grand Rapids, Michigan at Faith United Church of God. I have been here for two years, which means I started as a senior pastor nine months before the pandemic started. This is my first position and uh, first uh, time serving in this position. Um, prior to this, I was a missionary on an Indian reservation in South Dakota. So I don't even come to lead pastoral ministry with traditional experience. Um, and my tradition, Church of God, is from Anderson, Indiana. There's two different types of Church of God. And we fall under the Wesleyan holiness theology umbrella. So really similar in theology to Nazarenes and Wesleyans and Salvation Army. Um, so that's kind of where we land theologically. Uh, my church is like most small congregations, mostly older uh, white folks who are passionate about serving in their community and um, seeing the kingdom of God grow. Awesome. So when you say Anderson, Indiana, I think I see over your shoulder an Anderson University diploma. Is that correct? 
Yes. So yeah. I, yeah, I have a master of divinity and I went to Anderson for my undergraduate degree as well. Awesome. I was just in, and I was just at Anderson university like two weeks ago. Yeah. I spoke at an event there. So oh, wow. yeah, I stayed in the dorm and I spoke in the, in the theater. What a small world. Yeah, um, great. And you mentioned the Salvation Army. I, ju- uh, um, I, I occasionally speak at a conference called the orange conference in Atlanta. And I just kind of learned like three years ago that the Salvation Army is more than just a thrift store. <laughs> that it's a whole denomination. Yep. So there was a, there was a bunch of people in like military uniforms walking through this convention center, and I was like, "Oh, it's an actual denomination. That's wild." So yeah. it's so it's so interesting. So the so I'm sure you're aware of this. The past few months, the topic of women in ministry has been kind of a hot topic, right? Especially specifically women pastors. Um, uh, I know that uh, the the SBC has been kind of like finding churches who've been um, ordaining women and kind of defellowshipping with them because the SBC as a whole is a complementarian denomination, while simultaneously Saddleback Church, one of the largest churches in the country, just ordained three women in their church, right? And and, and you are the, the first woman pastor we have interviewed on this podcast, and so I'm super excited to talk to you about this. But I, I guess I want to know, how did you know you wanted to become a pastor, and, and how did you discern that call? And, and and I guess with that, you, you mentioned the, the kind of tradition that you're in right now. I guess along the way, did you have examples or mentors that were women pastors or did you um, have to break away from a tradition that to, to, to ultimately become where you are today as a, as a, as a lead female pastor? Uh, so I accepted the call to ministry when I was 15. So I knew at that point that God wanted me to be a pastor uh, I thought it was a youth pastor because when you're a teenager, that sounds like fun. <laughs> um, I was on a mission trip with my church youth group. And I remember um, in the van ride home, we went to South Dakota. I was talking about how I felt God had called me. And I overheard my youth leader say, well, we've known that for a long time. Um, so my call to ministry wasn't a surprise to anybody in my life. And I grew up in the tradition in which I currently serve. So I grew up in the Church of God. And when we started in the late 1800s, we started ordaining women. So there's never been a time my faith tradition has been in existence when we did not support women in ministry. Unfortunately, I didn't have any examples of women pastors growing up, but it didn't stop me from seeing God um, use me in that space. And I've always had supportive male pastors. So my senior pastor, when I came home and said I wanted to be a pastor, he said, absolutely, let's get you, let's figure out places for you to serve. And then in college, I had a woman as a campus pastor who mentored me along the way. So even though I didn't have direct um, mentors and didn't see women in those roles when I was younger, I never um, was told I couldn't be in them. So would you say... Um... In your journey to becoming a pastor, whether it was at maybe at Anderson University or maybe – so where, where did you get your uh, your graduate degree from? Anderson. Oh, Anderson also? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as you were in school, did you run into any complementarians who wanted to provoke or challenge you in your call? Oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because I'm in a tradition that affirms women doesn't mean we always hire women. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, Yeah, I remember my freshman intro to the Christian theology class. It was a woman professor. Um, There was a guy in the class named Kevin, and he just stood up in class and started pushing back against the professor and like followed her out of class one day and was like talking to her because he had never experienced it before and was so confused 
that we would be teaching something that felt contrary to what he grew up in. Um, Kevin had such a turn of heart in undergrad and then in seminary. Like now he's one of the biggest voices that affirms women in ministry. He lived in an area where we had a women in ministry conference and he showed up to the conference for women in ministry to sit beside his colleagues and support their work. Um, And so absolutely, there's been people that have pushed back. We had a youth pastor at my parents' home church for a while that didn't think women should be pastors. And my dad was the first person to tell him, actually, this is what scripture says. This is what it means. This is how we in the church of God interpret these things. So you probably shouldn't be telling people that women can't be pastors in our church. Wow. Um, I I would imagine, I mean, I wish we had time to talk about just your experience of your first lead pastor position in the midst of COVID. I mean, I mean it's ironic because I say I accepted this role as a campus pastor in fall of 2019. And so then like, I used to be a youth pastor for like over a decade. And now I entered into this role as a campus pastor and three months later, everything shuts down. And so it's like, I'm supposed to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. And now no one knows what they're doing. Right. So I'm sure like, I bet you have some interesting stories, especially serving as a lead pastor for the first time in that situation. But I guess uh, I'm, I'm going to figure out a way to ask this question that's not inappropriate, but like, how has it been difficult for you as a lead pastor being uh, being a woman compared to what you know as lead pastors and your male counterparts? Does that make sense? Like, what's been the difficulties or the challenges compared to your your male peers, whether it's in your community or at least what you know of? Um, I've never heard a male pastor friend, and I have lots of friends who are men and pastors. I've never heard a situation where someone's walked into the church and assumed they were the secretary. So I think the biggest thing that I combat is the assumption that because I am a young single woman, that I am not actually the lead pastor, Um, especially for people who just come off the street or who are like vendors or people who aren't familiar with who we are. The largest assumption is, well, I must be the secretary or someone else. And so my favorite thing to do is say, no, hi, I'm actually the senior pastor. Nice to meet you. Um, Because the look of shock on their face is always my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> um, but I don't, I mean, I can't speak to someone else's experience. I, I don't know what it's like to be a male pastor because I'm, I'm not. Um, but I do know that um, I've never heard of my male colleagues having to defend their position. Um, and I've gotten to the point where I don't defend it. If anybody on Twitter follows me, just this week alone, I tweeted some things about being a woman in ministry. And I had two different people say, well, actually, the Bible says, and I'm like, well, actually, here's the block button, because I don't, like, I'm not in the position to defend my call. I'm called by God. If you don't, if you don't agree with me, fine. But that also doesn't mean I have to invite you into my life. That's that's fair. I would say, um, I understand that you can't necessarily speak for other women, nor can you speak for like what it's like to be a man in, in this position. Uh, but is there any is there any time where you felt like because you were a woman there was like a unique advantage or a unique like special situation because because you're a female youth pa- female uh, senior pastor where being a woman was an advantage for you and you felt like uh, if you were a male this wouldn't have gone as well as it did has there ever been a situation like that hmm, that's a good question um, I don't I don't know because uh, because <laughs> I don't know how to be anybody. But me, um, I think that there has been some unique opportunities in pastoral care to be present with people in ways that um, 
I don't know if my male counterparts would. I think I am nurturing in ways that um, I don't know if I've experienced my male counterparts to be, but yeah, I think I offer a unique voice in that as a woman, I'm, I'm interpreting scripture with a, a little bit different lens. Sometimes I might be pulling out things that would be a little different. Um, but I think that's just the advantage of the diversity of the kingdom of God. You mentioned uh, his name was Kevin, right? The gentleman in your school, you mentioned Kevin. And I'm assuming that perhaps maybe since, um, since you left uh, university that you, and you mentioned this on, you've mentioned uh, introduced uh, people on Twitter who sought to challenge you. And I love that you said, uh, let me introduce you to the block button. I'm a big fan of, I don't need unnecessary drama in my life. So let's block them if we have to. I love that. But I guess my question to you is um, when people have sought to challenge your role as a pastor, um, uh, I I would say, let me, I guess, let me say this. When someone has said, Hey, this is what the Bible says. And you chose not to block them. How have you responded? Like, how have you, I mean, if, if there was ever worth your while to correct someone or, or, or even challenge back a gentleman who, or a woman for that matter, who is complimentary, what have you said or what, how have you responded to those situations? It's really difficult because um, it's, it's hard to have to defend a divine call. Um, I don't think I would have chosen this life if it wasn't for a call from God. And so when people push back against that, um, it's not just pushing back against me. It's pushing back, I feel like, against something that um, God has placed on my heart. Um, So I just invite people to watch. I invite people to watch me lead. I invite people to watch me preach. I invite people to um, see what other women are doing. Um, There are 800 million different ways to interpret scripture um, I pray and my head is uncovered. Um, I've cut my hair before. I, you know, do lots of things that one verse in scripture says I shouldn't do. I mean, how many people have enjoyed shrimp? Like we, I think we get really, um, especially when it comes to women in the church, we hold hard and fast to literal interpretations, but we um, will allow culture to speak into other places. And I think it's an unfair interpretation of scripture to say, well, in these places, we have to take them literally, but in these places, it's culture, Um, rather than allowing scripture to speak in the time in which it was written, and then use a lens to interpret from there. That's um, where my tradition speaks from. We look at the historical cultural context of when it was written, who it was written to, what does the text say, and how does scripture live out of that? Rather than saying, well, with 2021 eyes, I'm going to look at an English translation of a translation of a translation and allow that to dictate what roles people can have in church. I know when I was in student ministry, I um, I was often... So I, I, I've said this before, and I, and I think I've said this to you before already when I, uh, before we, we met... So I come from a tradition of a complementarian background, and um, I was definitely much more rigid and and like um, I don't know what the better word for this, but it was much more rigid when I was like fresh out of Bible college and entering into my first few roles, especially because in the first few roles of uh, the churches I were in, they were like vocally talking about it way more often than any other church I've ever been to since then. And one thing that I realized as I was as I was 
doing student ministry, meeting other student pastors, and having desire to grow as a youth pastor and to learn from others is that specifically in the student ministry world, if you have a problem with women pastors, you're limiting yourself from what you can grow and learn from. And so I, as a, as a complementarian, said, like, I have to be able to, to process in my own theology, in my own doctrine, in my own belief, a way to co-labor with women who are in ministry and acknowledge and recognize their calling, even if it meant that, like, we may not work at the same church, but God has gifted them and, and, and put them in their church for their reason. And I have created such beautiful relationships with women who are in ministry, uh, dear, dear friends uh, across this country who um, who I, I'm so grateful for and literally have made me a better pastor because of my relationships with them. And so my question to you is, is has there been any, any meaningful co-laboring with uh, complementarian pastors, either in your community or maybe broadly because of social media, or have you felt like it's an uphill battle that the only kind of pastors that you can uh, have uh, meaningful co-laboring with is egalitarian pastors. So I think because of COVID, I haven't had the opportunity to build as many community relationships here as I would have liked. Um, It's just difficult when you can't be in the same room with people. However, in my previous position, when I served as a missionary in South Dakota, Um, at our little mission church in Wounded Knee, we would have people come serve from all different types of theological traditions. So we would have Southern Baptists serve, we'd have Methodists, we'd have Presbyterians, you name it, we would have them come and serve. And it was never an issue because we were all on mission together. Like it didn't matter those theological things that might separate us um, in other places because we were all committed to sharing the gospel to our Lakota brothers and sisters. And so I think in those spaces, we were able to kind of break down some of those um, theological distinctions that might otherwise separate us and say, okay, what are we here for? We are here for kingdom work and kingdom work takes all of us. And the point is the gospel. The point is Jesus. The The point isn't whether or not we believe in egalitarianism or complementarianism. The point is, do we have enough freeze pops for all the kids at Bible school? Do we have enough spaghetti for the 200 people who are going to come to the spaghetti dinner? Like when you're able to focus on those ministry goals, the theological differences, as long as it doesn't contradict Jesus are less important. I do think it feels like, um, it feels like a first world problem to be arguing about this in many ways. You know what I'm saying? Like, I do wonder, um, and I don't wonder, I know this. When I, when I look at the church overseas in persecuted countries, this is a non-issue. Like, mm-hmm. women are serving faithfully in many roles. And if anything, um, it seems like, um, it seems like when there is a distinctive um, male headship in leadership in some churches, it, it's, it's at the influence. And I could be speaking out of turn. I, I could be like completely ignorant of some other country, but it seems like it's at the it's at the influence of a Western church uh, speaking into why male headship is so strongly seen in some some churches internationally. Um, so I guess I guess as I, I love what you said is like when, when you're on a on a mission and you are both working together, like kind of those distinctives are kind of irrelevant because you guys have the same goal and the same desire. I do I do feel like it's interesting how, especially in a complementarian mindset. That if a woman is a missionary at the highest role on the mission field, that's not an issue. But the moment when they enter into a position of senior leadership at a church, 
um, then it becomes controversial. And I don't know how to reconcile that. <laughs> like, I don't know how to reconcile that kind of distinction. If if a complementary is trying to be consistent, why wouldn't that apply there? Or acknowledge the fact that there is maybe um, a diversity of gifts amongst genders, right? So, Yeah, and I mean, that's a whole conversation we probably don't have time for when it comes <laughs> to the idea of um, probably racism and hierarchy and white saviorism. I mean, <laughs> we could talk about that for a long time, too. Uh, lots of... <laughs> But I we don't have time you. today. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So uh, uh, I, what, what really initiated my my desire to have this conversation with you is you posted this really sweet post on Twitter where you, you met a woman at a – I believe – first off, we take a step back. You were in a Christian bookstore. What are those anymore? Like the, Those things are disappearing. Like when you said you were buying communion supplies, I believe, and I was just talking to someone in my church, and we exclusively buy our communion supplies online. So the fact that you have a Christian bookstore where you're buying supplies is a blessing because I don't know where those even exist anymore. Well, I happen to live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is like Christian publishing capital of the world. That's right. So we have this great local bookshop called Baker Bookhouse. And um, as a pastor, I get a 20% discount. (laughs) And it's worth it to just go in and meander and pick up supplies and get that discount. I mean, Christian bookstores are almost like modern day blockbusters in the sense they're from a bygone (laughs) era, right? Like it's, 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 it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned how when you were in that Christian bookstore, you were talking to a woman who may was discerning her call into ministry, but she comes from a tradition that does not affirm women women pastors. And you said that uh, a big reason, a big a big passion of yours is to never stop talking about how you are a women pastor. So be, you can be a positive influence for these other for these other women. I want to I want to ask you uh, because I know a number of women, even in my own church, who are seeking a desi- who, who are seeking out their call. And I'm having these really honest conversations where I said, hey, I want to support you. I want to help you uh, fulfill all the uh, – to, to see all the giftings that God has given you. But there's a, a sad reality that this church may not be the end. Like there's a, there's a ceiling to where you can go in this church. But how can I send you out so that you can fulfill that calling? And so I guess my question is, is, is ultimately – Help us peek behind the curtain of what the discussion was like. Like, what did you tell her? How do you encourage and support women seeking a discerning of call when they feel like that there's only so far they can go in the the church and tradition that they are in? Uh, Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why one of my pinned tweets on Twitter is my call story um, to encourage people. Um, So this particular conversation, you know, picking up communion supplies and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm the pastor. And she goes, oh oh, you're the pastor? Because it's just not very common, um, especially in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is the headquarters of the uh, CRC tradition and things like that. So there's just not as many women. Um, And she said, well, you know, I've been trying to figure it out. And and I assured her that being a woman does not make you less than in eyes of God. And I think so many women are told that their call is limited because of how God created them. And if we, I go back to the Genesis story in Genesis one, the, the creation poem that where men and women are created at the same time, where they are both created in the image of God, where they are both called good. And in my interpretation of scripture and my understanding of who God is, my role in the kingdom is not limited because of the gender I was born to. God does not limit 
my work in the kingdom because I'm a woman. And so I shared with her, like, you're not less than you're because you're a woman. Your call is true. The voice you hear is the Holy Spirit and God can use you. Um, and, and God's not saying, you know, you only can be in this particular place because you're a woman and this particular place is for men. God is saying that the kingdom is big and large and there is room for you. And we have been the ones human beings have limited that, not God. Um, and so it's just an opportunity to encourage that, like, if you hear the call of God to follow it, seek people out who will support that um, and not limit yourself because of how God created you. That's great. One last question. Um, uh, you're you're face to face with a complementarian and, and maybe it's a complementarian in your community and you know, like you've seen their tweets, they do not affirm women pastors, women in ministry, and you have an opportunity to just talk to them and say, hey, I would just love to to, to meet with you and, and build some sort of relationship and, and kind of a bridge to co-labor. Um, what would you tell them? How would you uh, kind of um, in, in your most convincing way, and I know you you could easily just block them because that's what you, you could do. But but uh, if you're here, someone's listening to this podcast who comes from a compl- complementary background from this t- tradition, and they are listening to you, and they they perhaps can see what we're seeing that this is a secondary issue. This isn't this isn't a primary issue. This isn't a, a, a women in ministry is a losing your salvation or or anything that kind of issue. This is a secondary issue. But how can what could, would you tell a complementarian to say, hey, this is this is why you should collaborate with us. This is why we should build a relationship with us. This is why what you just said the kingdom of God is much bigger than than the limitations that man puts on us. What would you encourage that person? To do? What would you tell that person? Well, the first thing I would say is never worship in a place where you don't feel comfortable. Um, I don't invite people to worship in a space that they don't feel safe or they don't feel comfortable. So if they're not comfortable with a woman in leadership, I don't invite them to come worship there. The church is big. There's lots of spaces where you can feel comfortable in worship. Um, The second is I would encourage them to listen to women. A lot of people who are opposed to women in ministry have never heard a woman preach. They've never seen a woman lead a worship service. They've never been in a space where they've been exposed. So they have established opinions without exposing themselves to what that could even look like. So I would invite them to listen to a sermon. Um, And then I would, if they're really genuinely interested, most people on Twitter are not. If a face-to-face person is genuinely interested, I would love to go through scripture with them. I would love to point out in Galatians where Paul says, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Or the passage from Joel where your sons and daughters will testify. But more importantly, I'd invite them to look at Jesus. Like I interpret scripture through the lens of Jesus. And the first people to preach the gospel are women. John chapter four, the first person in John to preach the good news that Jesus was the Messiah was the woman at the well. In every single gospel account, the first people to experience the resurrected Jesus are women who Jesus sends out to tell the disciples. Jesus is every step of the way, including women in what he is doing. Jesus creates no separation. Yeah, I mean, he has the, the 12 who are men, but we forget all the women who were literally bankrolling his ministry the entire time. Like we forget, we don't tell their stories because most of the time we have men in the pulpit 
and they're not telling those stories. Um, so I would encourage them to just take a deep dive in Jesus. And if then they still have issues, I mean, that's between them and the Holy Spirit, you know, for them to work out because it's not, it's not my job to convince someone of my call. It's just my job to do my job and to serve my church faithfully. And if they don't want to participate in that, they don't have to. I love you mentioning John 4. Um, we as a church are going through the book of John. And um, and I actually preached on John 4. And I was just kind of blown away in that moment where it seems like up until now, Jesus hasn't revealed who he is to anybody. And the very first person who gets to see and understand that Jesus is the Messiah and then go and turn and preach the gospel is a woman, a woman who we don't know her name or anything like that, but it's a woman. And then fast forward, the very first person to see and understand that Jesus is alive is a, is a woman. And so that's a, that's a beautiful uh, uh, picture and a beautiful illustration. And I hope that if people are listening that uh, they take you up on that. Or if not, if not you, some other uh, lovely woman in their, in their, their community that they can have an honest conversation with. So. Yeah. Well, and the gift of COVID, if there is a gift at all, is every single person in ministry has been forced to go online. Yeah. So if you want to listen to anybody, I mean, a quick Google search, a Facebook post, you can find any voice you want to, whether you are in an ultra conservative tradition and you want to hear from more or from a mainline person, or if you want to hear, I mean, you can, you can listen to any variety of voices of women in the pulpit. Um, and just hear their perspective and, and their interpretation. I think all too often we've established opinions on things without actually hearing um, what those voices could be like. Yeah. And I think with anything, you know, there, there are probably some whack women preachers and teachers. In the same way, there's some really whack male preachers and teachers. You know what I'm saying? I did not claim that women were perfect preachers <laughs> at no, all. No, 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 no. We're equally and, flawed. No, and, but but my point is that I think that there is this conception that like misconception that's like the fact that they're a woman that everything they say is going to be bad or everything they're going to say is, is out with the bathwater, and it's like it's like uh, I don't I don't know where this like like some complementarians get this idea, but um you know it's like. When, as a man, and you listen to a woman preach, it's not like all of a sudden you're gonna, like your voice is going to get low, higher or something. Like, like like nothing magically bad happens if you're listening to a woman preach and teach. And and um and I mean like for like I don't know if you know who she is, but like I really really enjoy the ministry of Jen Wilkin, who is a who's a who is a woman Bible teacher in um in Texas, and and her Bible studies and her books are are, are wonderful, and I've learned so much from her. And I think that there's 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 examples of of female preachers and teachers that are really, really good in the same way how there's also examples of really, really bad male preachers and teachers. Um, so I, anyways, I really appreciate you saying, have a conversation. Don't just uh, critique and argue from a distance because one thing that I think scripture shows us is that it's really hard to malign and and disagree and, and hate someone when you're actually in a relationship with them, when you're actually talking to them. Um, uh, being face-to-face with someone forces you to create empathy and therefore having those discussions, even if you walk away disagreeing on it, won't cause you to have really, really silly ideas of what a, your role is or B your calling. Right. Like, I think, I think, I think having these conversations are super helpful. And this is why I brought you on the show because I wanted to have these conversations. Emily, you are so delightful. Thank you so much for, for being on the show. Um, Where can they find you if they wanted to see your pinned tweets and all this other stuff? 
Um, people are welcome to find me on Twitter. It's where I'm most active. I should warn people, my one true Twitter love is Antiques Roadshow. And so <laughs> normally during the season on Monday nights, I will live tweet Antiques Roadshow because I have the heart of an elderly person. Um, but my Twitter handle is Emily N. Clark. I tweet about my cats, ministry. Now I'm a boyfriend. Used to be being single, but now I tweet about him when... Um, things happen. So yeah, um, people can find me on there. I post my Sunday sermons on there. Um, people are more than willing to engage. And if people are thoughtful and engaged, they will stay engaged. If they're hateful and say that they don't think women should be pastors, I will block them because I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. Awesome. Well, you're a delightful follow and it's been so great to talk to you and meet you. And uh, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to Practically Pastoring. If you haven't done so, please join our Facebook group. Emily's actually in the Facebook group too. So if you want to come chat with her, uh, I would love for you to do that. Uh, invite people to check out the show. I would love for you to uh, share this podcast with a friend. Uh, if you know a person who's actively plagiarizing their sermons, share this podcast with them. And uh, and as, as always, we're on Instagram. Follow us there. Uh, but until next time, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. And this is Practically Pastoring. Don't plagiarize. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.